It's a remarkable thing to me that uh, this many ministers are gathered together. Um, as I was preparing this morning for this and writing an almost entirely new message because of things that were burning in my heart yesterday, um, I, I felt a great affection for you and for this event. I love the Proclamation Trust. I love what it stands for. I love the word proclamation. Um, and you know this is remarkable. It's been going on a long time, of course. But this in America, this would be equal to about 5,000 pastors getting together. You just do the math. Um, and that happens. I, I wrote down 10 of them right here. Resolve, Shepherds, Next, DG, Ligonier, T for G, Gospel Coalition, uh, Truth for Life, Passion, Exchange. Bang, bang. Massive groups coming together for preaching and singing. I mean, when I was in school, this was not happening. This was not happening. Exposition. I mean, 7,000, 20 and 30-somethings coming together to hear 60-minute sermons woven together by singing with piano. This is amazing. Something is afoot in our lands. And I would like to breathe on it. I would like to pray down the Holy Spirit's blessing on it for you. And that you would believe that God might be up to something unusual. That those who take exposition seriously are, are being blessed today in various ways around, around the world. And of course you go outside the Western world, amazing things are, are happening. So I, I don't know. I don't predict. I'm not given to saying this is where God's going in what happens in history except long term. <laughs> but short term, I'm praying that God will ignite something remarkable in our churches. So I'm thrilled to address this topic. So let's, uh, may I pray one more time? I, I love being prayed for, but I feel the need to pray whenever I talk. I didn't yesterday. I said, well, they just prayed for me. That would be weird to pray again. But we're going to pray again. Father, I just need to say out loud before you and these friends that I need you and that if I'm going to speak about preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I simply need to say, please help me. Please come and fill me and guard me and anoint me and grant the eyes of my heart to see you clearly and grant that my heart would savor you deeply. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, re review. The main point yesterday from Galatians 3, 1 to 5 was that we receive the Holy Spirit in the beginning and we go on living in the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way. Namely, did you receive him? Does he supply the Spirit to you by works of the law? No. Or by Hearing with faith, or the hearing of faith, yes. So, if you want the Holy Spirit to be coursing through your living, you live with this thing called the hearing of faith. Moment by moment, there's a hearing with faith. Hour by hour, there's a hearing with faith. Whatever, how, however that is. And I felt like before I move into preaching... I should 
try to unpack the nitty-gritty way I think that works. At least the way I apply it, and I think it's, it's biblical. The Holy Spirit transforms us, you can either say, by killing sin, Romans 8.13, John Owen's text on mortification, or by uh, creating fruit. Love, joy, peace. The ones in the negative kill sin, create fruit. So the Holy Spirit does both those things. Let me give you a text for each one. You know them already. Romans 8, 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there, you're, you're going to walk out of here in a little while, and you're going to be tempted. You're going to be angry or impatient or lustful. And at that moment, kill it. How? By the Spirit. But what, what is that? Like, is he something I use by the Spirit? I use him? I, this is not readily obvious that, that Paul just says it so. Put it to death by the Spirit. Or the uh, bearing fruit. You know that. Galatians 5.22. So let me give an illustration of each of those. The negative killing by the Spirit and the positive uh, bearing fruit by the Spirit. So here's the way I think it works. Let's take the sin in killing Illustration. Let's take the sin of resentment or bitterness or un, undue anger. Because, frankly, uh, alongside running to win the race in the race of sin uh, is uh, sex and anger. And I think anger is winning. I mean, you do a, a seminar on marriage. Um, there are more marriages being killed by bitterness, resentment. And anger than by adultery. So this is huge for you and, and for me. How do you kill this? Because you don't choose to get angry. You can kill things you choose. Like I could step out of this pulpit if I felt like, but I can't say anger go away. It doesn't work that way. So what, what does it mean to kill anger by the Holy Spirit? Kill bitterness, kill resentment by the Holy Spirit. Which I take to mean by hearing with faith. Okay? Galatians 3, 5. I'm laying that on top of, of Romans 8, 13. By the Spirit. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So I'm the Holy Spirit, I want you to supply a, a bitterness-killing power to my life at this moment as I walk out of here tonight. So that when I go home, I'm not seething with this bitterness that I feel towards those folks in my church or my wife or whoever ripped you off. So here's the way I think it, it works. You call to mind, the Holy Spirit brings to mind a text, a passage of Scripture related to the gospel, which bought for us all the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. So in Christ Jesus, I have every promise in the Bible, and every promise in the Bible appropriately applied to me is a gospel promise, blood-bought by the new covenant. And so I am an heir of all these promises. So I call a promise to mind, like uh, put away all wrath and anger and clamor and be tender-hearted. Forgiving, kind and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And you, by the Holy Spirit, you ponder, God forgave me. God forgave me. My 
$10 million debt, and I'm wringing the throat of this $10 debt that my wife has to me, or my kid has to me, or my colleague has to me, or my deacons have to me, I'm wringing their neck. Why? Because I don't believe this. I don't embrace and savor and delight in God's magnificent forgiveness of me. I'm acting like I deserve to be treated better. You're preaching this to yourself. And you're, and if the Holy Spirit's at work, you're believing this now. And something's changing inside because you're embracing a promise. He forgave you. Your sins are gone forever. His wrath is gone. He's your father. You're totally accepted. You can rest in him. And, and there's another piece to this. Another promise would come to mind like uh, Romans 12. 17, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Lay it down. You don't need to have the last word in this argument. You don't need to win. You don't need to see justice done now. It will be done. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Relax. Forgive. If they need to be sent to hell, I'll send them. Really. I really believe that in, in many relationships that are just seething with the sense of injustice, if we believed God is going to settle accounts exactly the way, either their sin will be crucified with Jesus or they'll burn in hell forever, you do not need to add your little recompense. It's, it's an absolutely freeing thing. It's not the totality of a new relationship. Like, if you're going to go to hell, and I don't need to help you. <laughs> but if you, if you are being hindered in treating people kindly, loving your enemy, because you feel, no, justice must be done, you, you can relax, you can lay that down. Jesus on the cross handed over to him who judges justly. And prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He knew exactly who should be punished with hell among these soldiers and these Pharisees. But he wasn't he, that in his earthly human life. He said, Father, have mercy. I hand over to you this judgment issue. And if he did it, that's the way we we should do it. So I would say um, the issue with anger is an issue of faith. A savoring and embracing, a resting in the sweetness of the promises of God's forgiving me and caring for me and loving me, even though I don't deserve it. I heard C. J. Mahaney say, and it was the most important thing he said in the message for me, the key to forgiving people is to be, is to marvel at being forgiven. And the key word there is marvel. Not just know. Knowing that you're forgiven doesn't affect your heart. Knowing unto marveling. To be stunned. To wake up in the morning and say, I can't believe I'm saved. That will keep you from barking at your wife. I can't believe I'm saved. I'm more amazed that I'm saved than that you wrong me. That emotional dynamic will free you. You'll be able to walk in meekness and humility and kindness and patience. So I think hearing with faith means hearing those gospel truths about the way God is related to me and will relate to me in such a way that the Holy Spirit 
drains out all this inappropriate anger and bitterness. I'll give you one more illustration. Um, bearing fruit. That, that was an illustration of how it kills sin. How hearing with faith kills sin and thus the Holy Spirit is doing it because he does it through hearing with faith. Um, Love is the main fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want to not just be a person who doesn't get angry. I want to be a person who positively, aggressively loves people and treats them way better than they deserve. Not just responding because I think they treated me worse than I deserve. A beautiful picture of this is 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1 and 2. This is called love in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 8. So I'm using it as an illustration of how the Holy Spirit produces Love or how hearing with faith produces love. Here it goes. We want you to be, this is verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, it wouldn't be a stretch, would it, to say when he says the grace of God has been given among the churches in Macedonia, he means the Holy Spirit came down and manifested among them and they were enabled to experience and receive the grace of God. So I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the Holy Spirit in verse 1, even though it's not mentioned. Verse 2. For, and here's the evidence of what, here's what happened when that took place. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And I'm taking generosity to be a form of love there because it's called that in verse 8. So where did love come from? Grace was shown. So the, I think this is the gospel was preached. Paul came to Macedonia. He preached the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. The Holy Spirit opened the eyes of their hearts. Say, Lydia, he, he was preaching and the Lord opened her heart to receive what was spoken by the apostle. That's what it says in Acts 16, 14. So Lydia and a bunch of others had their hearts open and grace was received. And what happened next? Joy. So the Holy Spirit was at work producing the fruit of joy in the grace, in the glory of the gospel. And what was the effect of the joy? Generosity. And what we, what's so amazing here is that the generosity and the joy did not flow from the removal of affliction or the removal of poverty. So this is not joy and prosperity. This is not a, a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is the opposite of a prosperity sermon. They are left in their, their affliction increases. And their poverty remains. Now, Wayne Grudem is going to talk, I think, tonight on why does doesn't have to happen all the time. It would be interesting to hear Wayne talk about this without being a prosperity preacher. Um, maybe that's not what he's going to talk about at all. I've just heard him talk about it, and I like what he says. Um, they are joyful in this grace, and this joy produces generosity. So here's my here's my understanding. The Holy Spirit produces joy, which yields generosity for the poor saints in Jerusalem. That joy is rooted in grace, which is heard, hearing with faith, hearing with faith. So faith 
is an embrace of this glorious grace, this wonderful Christ that's been offered for the forgiveness of all your sins and the removal of all God's wrath and the imputation of all Christ's righteousness. Totally embraced now and received. And joy is the inevitable response to being forgiven like that and being accepted and loved like that. And when you are in that condition, believing, embracing that, you start loving people. That's the way it works. So you see where the battle of the Christian life is to be fought. It's to hear, see Christ for who he is and to savor him for who he is. And the savoring is is key. Now, there are some obvious implications for preaching, are there not? <laughs> you, you could just start writing them down. So I'm going to here's the way I'm going to unpack the rest of this message. The aim of preaching, the content of preaching, the manner of preaching, preparation. How do you prepare and how do you act in preaching? So that's huge. And let's see if we can pack it into when am I supposed to be done? You want to tell me when I'm supposed to be done? All right. The aim of preaching. All right. Galatians 3, 5 says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you? Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. So I'm going to argue the goal of preaching, the aim of preaching is that your people experience hearing with faith. Because <laughs> I want them to have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And the Holy Spirit comes through hearing with faith. So the goal is this faith. They're going to hear you, right? They're hearing you preach. And you want them to have this akaes pistaos, hearing of faith, hearing of faith. You want the faith that they're hearing to be a you want the hearing to be of faith, produce faith. So now let's clarify, because I've already done, I've already assumed this, but let me argue for it. Faith here is not decision merely, and it's not affirmation of truth merely. Let's take First John, I mean, uh, John 1, 12. Um, to as many as received him... Who believed in his name. So I'm taking receiving and believing as least overlapping. So believing is a receiving of Christ. Receiving of him as what? Stupid? Foolish? Mythological? No. For who he is. Infinitely valuable. More valuable than anything else. Faith says I count everything as loss for the Passing value or worth of knowing Christ Jesus. That's the way faith embraces Jesus. If you embrace Jesus as modestly important in your life, you're not embracing Jesus. He's not modestly important. He's infinitely important. 10,000 times more important than anything else you think is important. So you embrace him as infinitely valuable. That's what faith does. That's faith. And I, I think one of the reasons we have weak people and the Holy Spirit is quenched is because we haven't brought them there. We've taught that it's something else. It's less than than that. So this kind of faith is what the Holy Spirit uh, produces and works through because he's in the world to glorify Jesus. And Jesus is not glorified by being decided for. And found boring. 
Jesus is glorified when people are thrilled with him, when they love him, when they count him as more precious than anything. That's what makes Jesus look great. And the Holy Spirit is in the business of making Jesus look great, which is why he's all into joy. Jesus is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. It's the mantra of my life, and I'm daily trying to live it. And that is a different matter. Easy to say, hard to do. But there's the battle. If you want to know where the battle is fought, Christ is magnified when I'm satisfied. And that satisfaction is what faith does. It's what faith experiences when it sees Christ for who he is. So the clarification of what faith is, is uh, a spirit-given treasuring of Christ as supremely precious. My my answer to the question, what's the aim of preaching, is the aim of preaching in my people is a spirit-given treasuring of Christ as supremely precious. If, if you agree with that aim, changes everything. Changes the way you live, changes the way you pray, changes the way you prepare, changes the way you preach, changes the way you're married. A spirit-given treasuring of Christ as supremely precious. So that's answer number one. What's the aim of preaching? Second, the content of preaching. If the aim is to treasure Christ above all things, then the content would be Christ as valuable above all. Or, to use a Pauline phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So let me read that little phrase. Ephesians 3.8. To me, it was given to preach the to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Is that what you do week after week? This is way beyond all of us, which is why we're so desperate for the Holy Spirit. I must, in as much as it lies within me and the Holy Spirit will help me, I must make him look unsearchably valuable this morning. Otherwise, my people are going to go right back to the television, right back to money, right back to sex, right back to fame, right back to anger, because Jesus is just boring. He's not supreme. He's not precious. Money is precious. I feel sex as precious. I don't feel Jesus as precious. And so he has no power in my life. It's our job, which cannot be done by a human being. We are sent, Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes. And we cannot open their eyes. I send you, Paul, to open their eyes that they may turn from Satan to God and from darkness to light, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and in place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so I'm sending you to do the impossible, pastors in Britain and beyond. Riches. The unsearchable riches of Christ, riches of his kindness, Romans 2, riches of his grace, Ephesians 2, riches of his glory. And let's get more specific now. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? We're jumping all over the place. I don't have one text. I have lots of texts. 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And uh, I, I don't know a more important verse on sanctification or the work of the spirit or how to transform my or your life or our people's lives than three eighteen of 2 Corinthians and then the way it's unpacked in chapter 4. 
3.18. We all with unveiled face, that's the work of the Spirit, I'll come back to that. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. That's key. That's what we must help our people do. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. That's what happens when you, when you by faith behold the glory of the Lord you're transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And here comes this phrase. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit of God lifts the veil between you and the glory of Jesus. Most of us function daily with some measure of opaqueness between us and Christ, right? And, and there will always be a measure of opaqueness until we see him face to face. And when you see him face to face, what will happen according to First John 3, 1, 2? Be like him. That's what this verse says. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed. That's incremental now. It will be instantaneous and complete when we see him at the last day. But now we want as much of that veil to be taken away as possible. That's what preaching is for. Lift it. Lift it. Only God can lift it. But it's the hearing of faith. It's, you're involved here. Your word is involved in lifting the veil. We are daily, weekly trying to lift the veil for our people to see the unsearchable riches of Christ. How does it happen? Now let's drop down to chapter 4. You should get rid of the chapter division there. Chapter divisions are always a problem. Just get rid of them. They almost never help. So just keep around reading. Here we come to verse 4. The God of this age has blinded. This is the problem in your community and in your church and in your life. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, that's the glory that we saw in verse 18. And when we saw it, it transformed us. We're not seeing it clearly. Why? Satan hates us. Oh, how he hates preachers. We were talking as a staff a few days ago about the hammering that our staff has received in recent days, relationally and cancer-wise. And, and uh, God, God loves us infinitely. Satan hates us with all his might. And his one main weapon is blindness. He's a deceiver. He's a liar from the beginning. And when he lies, he kills. We have a great enemy. And this is what he does. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And our job is open their eyes. Acts 26, 18. Go, do this. Do this impossible thing. And when our eyes are open, we see the glory. Now, how, how does that happen? We can't do that. Verse 6 tells you how it happens. The God who said... Let light shine out of darkness. So he's harking back to the way God brought light by his word into being. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The way anybody comes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ is by God saying, let there be light. And he does this through the word. This is the Holy Spirit who alone can do that. This is the word. And he's flying in tandem with the word. If you don't preach Christ and his unsearchable riches, the Holy Spirit doesn't 
cause regeneration around the world. It's like, oh, I'll just pray, go to all the unreached peoples and save them. But I'm not going. I'm not preaching. He won't go. Because Christ wouldn't be magnified if Christ isn't preached. Regeneration and sanctification happens where the unsearchable riches of Christ are placarded before the nations and before your church week in and week out. So does this text tell us how to be used as an instrument for that miracle of verse 6? It does. Verse 5. We do not proclaim. This is where my emotions this morning kind of made me love proclamation trust. Because that's the word here. We do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Christ's sake. So if you ask me what should what's the content of preaching? Say Jesus Christ as Lord. Preached in such a way that his unsearchable riches are seen to be. Glorious, so that beholding the glory of the Lord, your people will be changed from one degree of glory to the next. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Number three, the manner of preaching. Let's stay here with chapter 4, verse 5. The word for proclaim there. We proclaim Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants is Caruso. There are a lot of words for speak and talk and proclaim in the New Testament. This is not didosco, teach. This is not lego, say. This is not laleo, speak. This is not katangelo. This is not euangelizo, though it could be euangelizo, speak the good news. This is Caruso, and that's important because Caruso is what a... Kerouks did a herald. They didn't have internet. They didn't have radio, television, newscasts. They had heralds on horses and hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. A message from the king. He declares an amnesty for all the rebels here in this city who will lay down their weapons and swear fealty to him and confess their rebellion and it will be free. For all who will humbly bow and believe. That's heralding. That's the image. And that should, there should be a note of that in your preaching. Preaching is news. Between the charismatics and the, uh, whatever these are over here. (laughs) Expositors. Like me, I mean, I'm a wimpy charismatic to, 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 to real charismatics. But, but between these two, these people are real didactic and these people are, are real enthusiastic. That shouldn't be. That just shouldn't be. And it's not a personality thing. It, it is relating to the very nature of what we're about in preaching. K. Rooks's didn't this news that we have, <laughs> this news about what Christ has done for the world. I'm, I was walking with Simon to the taxi, you know, an hour ago. 
And I'm looking at all these people thinking, I've got news for them. If they would just give me 15 minutes, you know, just give me 15 minutes and listen. You may think I'm mythological and stupid, but I've got spectacular news for you. And you're into your clothes and your walk and your power suit. And look, those are nothing compared to what I've got to offer you. There really should be a... Oh, here's my definition of the manner of preaching. I mean, I've got a little phrase. It's called expository exaltation. That's exaltation with a U, not an A. Not exaltation, but exaltation. So here's, here's my understanding of what I do when I preach and what I think we should all do. We, we open our Bibles, either here or have written here, and we, we understand these are words and people have brains. And there must be a transition of authorial intent here into that brain. This is all thinking and, and exposition. And what we see in these texts is spectacularly good news. And it is, um, worthy of the most intense savoring. And that's what we do over the text. We exult over the text. This is, by the way, why I think historically preaching has been central in Protestant Christian worship. Because it is worship. I hate it when people say, we worship for 30 minutes and then we whatever. Teach, preach, share, whatever. No! We worship for an hour and a half, and half of it, we're singing worship, and half of it, I'm exulting in God over this text with you people. And I'm trying to get you in here. That's what I'm doing. I want you to see what I've seen. I want you to feel what I have felt, and more, way more. So expository exaltation is what preaching is. A spirit-filled preacher sees Christ for the sake of his exposition, and a spirit-filled preacher savors Christ for his exaltation. So, exult over the Word. Number four, the preparation for preaching. Where do lucid exposition and authentic exaltation come from? And I use those words lucid and authentic real carefully because I believe with all my heart you should be the best explainer of the Bible in your city. You should be really good at explaining things. Explain the meaning. Saints love to have the Bible explained to them. They're usually totally confused. And your job is to blow all the fog away so that they say, yes, Look, it's there. Why didn't I see it? That's what you want to happen Sunday after Sunday. Be a good explainer. And authentic exaltation. Woe to us if we say, well, he said you're supposed to be a savoring, exalting person. I'm going to whip it up. I'm going to whip it up and do some, you know, whatever, emotional stuff. You just, I'm pleading with you, be you. But be the new you. 
who is being renewed, being renewed in the likeness of your creator through knowledge. You haven't yet arrived at the whole you. Neither have I. We're all broken people, especially emotionally. Every one of us in this room is a broken person. We had horrible experiences at home or somewhere. We're lame. We walk with a limp emotionally. You're going to feel horribly guilty because I'm telling you to do this or that. And you say, I can't do that. It's not me. No, 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 no. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying grow into the whole you. And when I say authentic exaltation, I just mean do it your way. But do it. That is, feel it your way, but feel it. Savor it your way, but savor it. Let the people see you savoring through your personality, not mine, Vaughn's. Anybody else's? It's got to be authentic. They'll see right through the fakery of it if it's not. So my answer to the question, where does lucid exposition and authentic exaltation come from? My answer is it comes from hard thinking and hard praying. Hard thinking and hard praying. Um, Let me give you a text for the thinking part. Second Timothy chapter two, verse seven. And I mean, taking your Bible on Friday or Saturday or Monday or Tuesday, whenever you do it and go to your text and beat your head against this text until it yields. What Luther said. This is hard. This this is not touchy feely emotional work on Friday. This is just plain, unbelievably hard work to get the meaning of a text. Sometimes you, it just won't yield. You have to say to your people, I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> Ask me in a year. But here's the text, 2 Timothy 2.7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It doesn't say, think over what I say instead of depending on the Lord. And it doesn't say, depend upon the Lord instead of thinking. It says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding. Well, which is it? Am I thinking or is he giving? Yes. Yes. That is the way The Lord, who is the Spirit, gives understanding. He did not inspire prepositions and verbs and adjectives and participles for you to play games with them with the Holy Spirit and say, I don't need that. I've got a hotline to heaven here. Just illumine the Bible. And you don't even study it. That is an insult to the Holy Spirit. He did this. He could have done it another way, written it on the sky, given private revelations every weekend. He didn't. He did it this way, which is why we give our lives to translate this Bible into every language on the planet. This is the way it comes. What a precious thing this is. So think hard about what it means. And then try to move toward the end here really practically. How do you pray, Pastor? As you do this, okay, I'm thinking. Got my books all over the place, got my computer on. Concordance, logos, whatever. 
uh, accordance. That, that's what I use. I should know the name of it. What, how do you pray? And here's the way I pray. I use an acronym. You may have heard me say it before. I can't improve on it for myself, so I'll give it to you. I-O-U-S, I-O-U's. <laughs> they all come from the Bible, so here they are. And this shows how desperate we are. I, Psalm 119, verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. Isn't that encouraging? That the psalmist had to pray for an inclination to read the Bible. He didn't want to read it. If he wanted to read it, he wouldn't have prayed that. Okay, it's okay. It's not okay. It's okay not to be okay, if you know what I mean. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Number 2-O, I-O. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. Okay, you've now got the inclination to read and you're seeing nothing. You are seeing nothing. It is boring. What do you do at that point? You, you, you cry. You cry. God, if, if you go away, if you leave me, if you don't let me see anything beautiful or glorious or compelling or satisfying, I've got nothing from my people. I'm out of the ministry. This is how desperate it is. And so you pray like that. Open my eyes to behold not just facts, but wonders. It is wonderful. It's wonderful. And if it doesn't feel wonderful, we're the problem, not the Bible. And therefore, we pray like the psalmist did. Thank you, God, for the psalms. Psalm 86, you, I owe you, Psalm 8611, unite my heart to fear your name. Why is that important for me to pray? Here's the way I take that. I, I take him to mean unite my heart is that my heart is fragmented I got a, I'm going after money here. I got a marriage problem here. I got a kid problem here. I got a deacon problem here. I got, my house is broken. My car is about to need to be replaced. My heart is right now, as I'm over this word, going in 15 directions and I don't have any unity or focus at all. What do you do? You plead with God. Unite my heart. Get it together, at least for this half hour. Let me have united, unbelievably strong, clear, lucid focus on this glorious truth so that it can come home to me. And then S, I-O-U-S, Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The psalmist did not live in a steady state experience of being satisfied with God, and neither do you, and neither do I. Nobody in this room, nobody lives in a steady state, 100% satisfaction in God, so that everything else is like rubbish. I count everything as rubbish for the surpassing God. That comes and goes. We fight this. This is a daily battle. Which is why Paul, at the end of his life, said, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. 
I've kept the faith. He fought to the end. And it'll be a fight for you to the end. I'm 64, fighting the same old battles at 35. I thought I was going to have 30 years worth of sanctification under my belt. <laughs> What's wrong? It, it, I, I mean, I, if you, if you uh, are, are 70 or 80 year old and have a secret that I haven't learned, would you just find me afterwards? For me... I think it's found in the Psalms, godly people, real, born again, justified by faith people, leak. And every morning, pray it over again. New inclinations, new openings, new unitings, and new satisfaction before I go to my breakfast because I'm going to be crabby with my wife. If I don't have a restful satisfaction in you, no matter what else is going on in the world. So, if you like, I've been adding another S, kind of like IOUs. <laughs> but you can just have two texts under one S, and, and it would be Isaiah 6 8, Here am I, send me. I don't, I don't want it to sound like this is all just about, you know, my satisfaction because everything I'm saying here is to release you to love, release you to take risks. And so here my send me. I want you to do that, Lord. Last point, the delivery of the message. I'm supposed to be done, so I'll go quick. How do I preach by the Spirit? Um, how do I get up? So I'm walking up the steps now. And I'll give you one last acronym. I've used this for 30 years of preaching. I sit in the front pew of my church and the text is being read. I've got about 45 seconds to get my heart finally ready. What do I do? Because I'm told in 1 Peter 4.11, let him who speaks speak as one who utters the oracles of God. Whoever serves, let him serve by the strength that God supplies. Now, what is, how do I do that? I'm supposed to be standing here right now speaking to you in a power, not mine. Okay. I'll, here's my best shot at how to climb the steps in a way that fits you to do that. A-P-T-A-T. This is in my book on preaching, so it's not new. A, this is an acronym. Admit I can do nothing, John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm rising the steps, and I'm saying, God, I can't do anything. I can't preach. I can't breathe. I can't live. Everything I have is from you. I can't accomplish anything of eternal value if you don't come. So I, I admit that. A, P, pray for the help you need. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, knocks. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. For which of you who has a son who asks for an egg would give him a snake? And if he asks for um, bread, would give him a scorpion. I'm trying to separate Luke and Matthew here. Would give him a scorpion. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's Luke eleven thirteen. I need you. Come, come, Holy Spirit. And, and ask for anything else. Like, would you convert people today? 
Would you heal that marriage thing that I see back there on the last row? They can't even touch each other. Would you touch um, Tim over here whose wife is so sick? Would you do these things, oh God? Work miracles in this room, according to Galatians 3.5. Number T, A-P-T, trust a specific promise. Now, this may be a little, this is where hearing with faith meets the road. You're standing up to preach. You've said, I can't do anything. You've asked for divine enablement. And this happens earlier and it can happen right then. You call to mind. You ask the Lord to give you early in the morning a text, a promise that's specific to this situation. So I did that about three hours ago. I just closed my Bible, put my head down and said, God, is there any word of assurance from the word? I'm not asking for any extra biblical thing here. I'm just saying, give me something from the Word that would be suitable to to enable me to trust it. Trust it as from you for them. And here's what came to my mind. Wayne Gruden might call this prophecy. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me what label you put on it. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and return not thither, but water the ground, making it uh, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower. And I just stopped and said, that's what I want to do spiritually. I want to give seed to the sowers. And bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish all my purpose and prosper and thing for which I sent it. And I believe, I'm believing that promise right now. I believe that's happening right now. I think that's what it means to operate in the power of the Spirit and to do it from hearing with faith. I heard a word. I'm believing it. And through my belief in it and my acting on it. Now, that's that's A. Act. you got to act. It feels like my legs bringing me up these steps, right? My arms are waving. My voice is sounding. This is so me, right? you got to. Why? Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work in you you got no choice. You can't wait to be lifted on a cloud out of your seat into the pulpit. He gave you legs. He gave you a voice. He gave you arms, face, mind, emotions. And he means for in, incarnate life to be happening. And so I'm doing, doing that right now. I'm acting because I believe he's acting. And finally, the T, I'm going to... Shut my Bible, and I'm going to go down in those steps, and I'm going to say thank you. Okay? So the way I do it every Sunday, A-P-T-A-T, and uh, sometimes he comes extraordinarily, and I'm, I sense his manifest carrying, and other times I, I feel very constrained, and like, phew. and guess what? There's no correlation between how I feel about it and the good that's done. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that that's true. Let's pray. Father, I leave out the summary of those five things, trusting the brothers and sisters to get that. And I want to just say thank you for Christ. Thank you for his glory. Thank you for his word. Thank you for proclamation trust. Thank you for these these ministers of the Word of God, O oh Lord, fill us now with your Spirit and grant that eyes would open to see Christ and hearts would be awakened to savor 
Him. In Jesus' name, amen.